Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. He saw that it was very good. It's our journey through the book of Genesis. Let me read Genesis 1, and then I'm going to tell the story in a different way. Let's read this way first. This is how Genesis 1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And and the evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be space between the waters that separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. And God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called this space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. And God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees which they came. And that's what happened. And the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. And their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. And God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to mark the seasons of the days and years and let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. And so God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars and God set the lights in the sky and to light the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came marking the fourth day. Then God said, let water swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And so God created sea creatures of every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water. And every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was... Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish of the seas, the birds, multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry on the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, and each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for the wild animals, the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. And God looked over all that he was made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in it was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was a day when he rested from the work of creation. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. One day, God saw a table, and it was empty. There was nothing going on there. It's formless and well avoid. You couldn't even eat there if you wanted to. Just a table. So God took and did what he'd been wanting to do for a long time. He wanted to set that table up. He wanted something good to happen here. So he got his best tablecloth and sorted it out. Perfect. Just the way he liked it. Oh, it was dark. It was dark. So, candles out. He needed candles. You can't have a good meal without candles. You know, they say that if you light candles at your table, you'll sit at that table 20% longer. That's a fact. You should try it. We do it. So, God said, let there be light. Perfect. This is going to be a good meal. Oh, and then he looked at it and he thought, what else do we need here? Ah, need some water. They'll love it. They'll absolutely love it. I can't wait for them to try this stuff. It's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's wet. I don't know if you've tried it before. But we're going to have some water at this table. Oh, it's going to be good. And we just can't pour the water all over, so we're going to separate it a little bit and put it into these beautiful glass cups I just got. Aren't they lovely? They love them. Oh, this is good. Mmm. That's good. I came up with a good thing there. It's good. So, then... Oh, what else do we need here? Ah, oh yes, 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 yes. Now, we can't just put the food anywhere. We've got to put some plates out. They'll love it. If they set it on the... We're not making savages here after all, you know what I mean? So we're going to have some plates and cutlery. Oh, we're going to get this table looking really good here. They are going to love it. When they see this, they're going to freak out. It's going to be so good. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Oh, this, this is good. Ah. Oh, I know what else. I know what else. Flowers. Little vase. Oh, man. Somebody will figure out plant arrangement eventually. But for right now, <laughs> this is going to just be... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Eventually, those will grow and we'll get ourselves something good here. Okay. What are we going to have here? Ah, yes. Onions. Oh, man. I don't know what they're going to do with them, but they're probably... These things are great. Someone will figure that out. That'll be so good. And apples. Oh man, we're just gonna we're just gonna have so many good good things. Eventually, they'll come up with craft dinner. This stuff. 
straight from my heart, right there, right there. Uh, oh, orange, okay, okay, good. What else do we, oh, napkins, might be a little messy. Oh, yeah, oh, someone will figure out how to do pretty little things with, okay, we'll just set them here for right now. Oh, this is good, this is good. It's good, it's good, it's good. Um, okay, let's think here. I know. This is really going to be where it's at. Okay, so we're going to make one spot there and one spot here. And we're going to put somebody right here. This is very good. Because when somebody's right there, then I can be here and we're going to have the best time ever. I made this just for them. I bet it's going to go great. This is what the book of Genesis starts out as. It starts out as a story of God setting the table for people that he was going to create to show them how much he loved them. And he was going to set this table because he was going to do something. And the person that he was going to make are people made in his image. Somebody who he could talk to. Not just, he's just not talking to Siri here, right? He isn't having a conversation with a robot. He wants a person made in his image who's totally separate from him but meant to be in communion with him. And he's making this since the dawn of time from some big bang a long time ago. God is genius enough that out of his creative act of love, he makes all of this. And when he makes it, he is deeply moved by it and calls it very good. He says, it is very good. Did you know we wake up every morning in a world we did not make? <laughs> we wake up in this world and we look around and we are surprised by it. The, the smell of coffee on the coffee pot. The sun coming through in the morning. Your jammies that you just got for Christmas. All of these feelings, everything that we experience, even our own bodies, this is all something that we wake up to, and guess what? We did not make it. We wake up in a world that we did not make. The table was set before us long before we showed up. And it was a beautiful journey of God's making of all of this that the book of Genesis starts out with. It's trying to set the stage for what is going on here. First, we start out in the morning as we see what God has made, and we wake up to this world that we did not make, and then we begin to expand out, don't, don't we? We begin to go down the street, and we look down, and we see the ground below us, and we look up, and we invent telescopes that look at the stars, at the sky, and we go, this place is cooler than I thought. We look up high, and then we develop microscopes, and we look small, and we realize that no matter how far we look out, or no matter how small we, small we, we, we explore, that we have not found the edges of it yet. And so we do this at the, at the table. We get, we've been invited here and we start to look. What the heck is this? Have you ever been on a flight somewhere and they bring out, like a long haul flight and they bring out the meal? This is the most hilarious thing. You bring out the meal and it's like, there's a bun. There's a bun here. They put butter. Oh, look, you peel off the top. It's fruit salad. You know? You're amazed by this because you're flying in an airplane and you're given this airplane food and you're just like, it's amazing, it's warm, it's hot food, this is a good one. 
This is a good one. Thanks, Air Canada. You know? We're excited. We hunch over this, this food we've been given, and we're amazed by it for a second. And this is what we do in God's world, is we're amazed by what God has made, and we explore. We explore, and we are in awe. But this doesn't last for long. Sometimes we get used to it all. Instead of being in awe, we get bored or even angry or even offended by this world that God has made. This once great world, it becomes a landfill, a war zone, and a boring place that some of us even say, maybe it's the best if we just leave. Something has gone wrong with this table and we don't like it anymore. Maybe like I make a nice meal for my kids and then they're in the living room saying, I'm not hungry, <laughs> right? Like, I made that. It took me one stinking hour of my life to make you this food, and now you're off in the living room and you want a piece of bread. Like, don't you know what I've done for you, right? But no amount of me hollering will get them to understand what's been made. And this is our great dilemma, isn't it? We've been given this amazing world that God has made, and we do not know what to do with it, and so we sleepwalk through it. We don't know what this is for. We don't know what to do here with it. We don't know how to thrive sitting at God's table with God, with all that he has done. We do not know. We don't know how to smell the flowers. We don't know how to pour the water. Eugene Peterson, he says this, but in spite of it all, this doesn't last for long. He says this, something always shows up to wake us up. A children's question, a fox's sleek beauty, a sharp pain, a pastor's sermon, a fresh metaphor, an artist's vision, a slap in the face, a scent from a crushed violet. We are awake again, alert in wonder. How did this happen? Why is this? Why anything at all? And why nothing? And why not nothing at all? Are you sometimes alerted to the beauty of God's creation just enough to wake you up and go, there's something more here? It might come as glimmers and slivers, but it's there. And this is what is the burning question kicking off the book of Genesis. It's an awakening jolt that kicks us off a long story of God's engagement with God's people to create this beautiful place for us to meet him. That we might have a... Uh, I think that this creative story is in contrast to other ones. In the time that the book of Genesis was written, there was a lot of creation myths in the ancient world. But they were all starkly different from this one. In the Babylonian creation myth, there was many different gods of many different places. And these gods, the, they were tired of doing work. So they needed slaves. Not people that they cared for, but some dumb animals called humans that they would make to do their work for them. And these slaves were in a transaction with these gods. And the slaves so hated the gods that they said that every time they would give an offering to these gods, the gods were like flies around poop, buzzing around. That's the Babylonian vision of the creation story. And here, in this midst of this, comes this story in Genesis, which is God who is saying, I am creating this world, and every step of the way I'm saying it is good, and I am making people that I can commune with in this world, and they are made in my image. Not as my slaves, but people that I can talk to and be with 
in this world because I, we'll learn later, love them. This is, we get a little hint at what God is doing here, but it was enough of a hint for people in this ancient world that when they heard this story, it was so foreign from all the others. Would God be good, and am I made good, and is this world made good? And God is saying, yeah, no, it, I made you, and you're very good. <laughs> and I made you in my image. What do we know what to do with this? We don't know what to do with this God who comes and sits across from us. That God would somehow enter into the very story he created so that he could commune with us in some way and we don't know what to do with it. Have you been at church long enough to know that people are weird, right? Do you know what to do when you're sitting across from that crazy aunt or uncle that keeps talking about those conspiracy theory things, right? What do you do with that? What do you do with the crying baby when you're trying to focus on something? What do you do with the person that hurts your feelings? What do you do with that? And so we enter into God's world, and we can't hardly believe what it is to commune with God because we can barely commune with each other, right? And we're doing this thing called getting married, and you've got to stay with this person for a long time and somehow endure them. And we're like, this, this isn't as good as I thought. This is hard, right? And somehow God sets this up, and we go, I don't know how to sit at this table. And eventually we have to confess, I don't know what to do with this. So what's it mean that God says this is very good? For that, we're going to take a look at what Plato says, the philosopher Plato. This is Plato, he's a sharp looking guy, 300 years before Jesus. Why am I talking about Plato? Well, a friend of mine, Brad Jerzak, he pointed this out, and he 300 years before Jesus, he reflected deeply on the meaning of life, what this is about, what is goodness. Now, he may or may not have read these Jewish stories, but he thought something through that I think is very important, and we're going to see that there's a twist and twist to it. So, the tests for the good. When God says this, things are very good, what did Plato think was very good? First one, test number one, goodness is beautiful. Have you ever seen something beautiful and then you were like, that must be good, right? It's probably why you married somebody. You're like, that's, that's a good looking thing right over there, right? That must be good. I bet if I hook up to that, that's going to be a good thing, right? Those are called hormones and they're very powerful, but they're really cool, right? Something good is there in something beautiful. Have you ever seen a beautiful painting or a beautiful sunset and you look at that beautiful thing and you say, that must be good, right? And if somebody says something is good, you kind of cross-check it in yourself and you go, but is it beautiful, you know? Is it, is, 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 is it something stunning to me? So that's his first test. Goodness is beautiful. Second one is this. Goodness is truthful. He, the, the idea for truth is this. Does it match with reality? <laughs> is good... Is, is this real? I want to get to the real stuff of life. The latest book that I wrote is called The Neighbors Are Real and Other Beautiful Things. Because you know what? I want to live in a real world. I don't want to live in a fictional land. I don't want to live with whatever my Instagram is telling me is, is, is real. I want to get to the heart of what's really real. And in the Bible, I'm slowly learning, and in my life, I'm slowly learning that people are real. That somehow there's something real about two chairs facing each other, and that real is truthful. I don't want to live to the end of my life and not experience truth. 
I want to I, I live the real Preston life in the real world that God made. So he says goodness is truthful. It gets to the heart of what's real. It isn't fictional. It's, it's, it's not off in the sky, but it's something true. Next one. Goodness is just. <laughs> justice, there's a lot of ways of talking about justice, but justice is making something right, right? It's taking something broken and fixing it. It's, it's putting the thing that fell over upright again. This is what is just in the world, right? We all know what this is like if somebody comes and steals something or breaks something, you want them to put it back together again, right? So these are the three pieces of it all. He says goodness is beautiful, goodness is truthful, and goodness is just. But he says there's one way to deliver this, and there's only one way according to Plato. He says it can only be delivered by love. This is the only way that goodness can enter into the world in these ways to be delivered by love. And I'm going to surprise you with something that Plato said 300 years before Jesus. He said this, Plato goes on to write that if this goodness would show up in the world, if this kind of goodness that is pure in these ways, delivered by love, this is what he says, if it showed up in the world, it would look like a perfectly righteous person. It would be one person who would show up in the world, and this is what he said, he goes, but if that person were to show up, he would be arrested, beaten, and crucified. 300 years before Jesus, he called it. He figured it out and he thought, if this is what is going to happen, if this is how goodness enters the world, it's going to show up in a person, but when we see it, we're going to arrest it and crucify it because we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Some people say Plato was the first Christian because he figured it out even before Jesus showed up on the scene. And he was Greek and he was a long ways, ways away. And I, maybe that, that's why the Greek New Testament flourished amongst Greek people because they were just like, this is what Jesus is, the perfect person who comes in and brings this into the world. Plato, he called it. I think it's really, really powerful. So we come to this table and we then I think need to encounter at this table this idea that maybe the person sitting across from us in this world, maybe it's Jesus. Maybe when God was walking in the garden with his creation and he was saying, I, look, I made this wonderful meal. Maybe the intent was always that God would be sitting with us at the table. God would always be with us in his creation to show us how to have a meal here. We're going to go through the book of Genesis all summer, but we're going to learn that people eventually, we flip the table. We stomped away from the table. If you have kids, you've, you've lived this a dozen times, right? You say, I don't want to eat this. I don't know what this is. I'm blowing out candles. I'm throwing food, whatever. We have a tantrum. We have a fit, and we are done. And so God says, okay, we're going to have to come back to the table. Go, go and have a time out. <laughs> but the meal isn't over. I really want to eat with you. And there's going to have to be something to happen here. Well, through it all, and we're going to learn the grand story here, but through it all, I'm giving away the punchline, but through it all, all the rules in the world that can somehow get us back to the table, listen, sit here, sit up, fold your hands, use your fork, all that stuff, did it change our ability to sit at this table? No. And the whole Bible is telling us why the rules don't change us to sit at the table. 
It is a journey of the heart to meet the very person of Jesus. And that is the way we sit at this table. Karl Barth, who's a famous theologian who says smart things, he wrote, he wrote theological stuff, a ton of it, and he said this, We have established from every angle Jesus Christ is the key to the secret of creation. He says this, We have established from every angle that Jesus Christ is the key to the secret of creation. The key to know how to sit at God's table, to be a part of creation, comes down to a person. And this is what the early Christians understood. Paul, he wrote in the book of Colossians, and the early Christians had this like early prayer. I don't know how to call it a prayer. Maybe it was a hymn, maybe it was set to music. But it was very formative in their life that they would encounter a Jesus who is in creation, who sits across from the table from them. It was their way of understanding the brokenness of the world that they have. And so they came up uh, with this. Let's find Colossians. Where are we here? Colossians 2. It says this. Colossians 1. There we go. It says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So we wonder, is Jesus, is God sitting at this table with us? <laughs> Jesus comes in and says, I, I'm here. I'm the visible image of the invisible God. I'm joining you in this meal, in this world I created. I'm, 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 I'm here. <laughs> and these are what the early Christians said. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. And he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made all things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers, authorities of the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ, he's also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. And so he is first over everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. <laughs> Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to live in God's created world and know God. He's the Because he's actually the one that made this feast for us in the first place. He's the one that saw us tromping off and stomping around like children, right? And he's the one that found a way for us to come back together. And like Plato said, whoever is the good guy that comes and does all this, we're going to crucify him. And so he took the pain for it so that we could be with him. It goes on to say, this includes you who are once far away from God. Jesus is for you. Are you way out here on the fringes? I'm sorry, camera people, but I am way off, off your screen now, right? This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
you are now made to eat at this table with God. You are now made to participate in God's beautiful world with him. This is the good news of Jesus. He makes a way for us to come here, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've wrecked. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So Paul is saying, listen, let me tell you how it is. You can come and be a part of what God's doing in God's good world again because of what Jesus has done to make a place for you here. <laughs> this is the good news. Jesus is the one. Can you go to that very last slide that I, that I had there? Beauty, truth, and justice are delivered by love. When God said, this is very good, guess what? The love of Jesus delivers it to you. <laughs> it says, my love is enough to bring you into my world. And then this is what Jesus did. Jesus, the life of Jesus does this. The whole life of Jesus is showing us how to enter into the world that God made. Do we want to know how to live in this world? Jesus shows us how. <laughs> Do we want to know how to sit at the table? So I did a tea party for Ivy's fifth birthday, and this is what I do. I put this on. And, and these kids are wild beasts, right? They put on princess dresses. Do not, do not be deceived. These are not princesses, okay? Bless them all. I love them to bits. But we sit around, and they're like, they're scarfing, right? Cookies. They can't shove enough dainty cookies in their mouth even before they're sitting down, right? That's how they think to, to do it. So guess what I do? I, I play the waiter. I say, welcome, girl. I think you could just take one cookie and be fine. There will always be enough cookies. <laughs> right? Let me pour you some tea. That's a lot of cream. You have more cream than you have tea. That is fine. And you know what I do? I play host. I gather them around, and this is what Jesus did. He gathered his friends around, and guess what? He got on to one knee, and he washed their feet. He washed their feet, and then he said, now you do it too. That's how you live in my world. I'm going to show you. And people said, oh, I'm going to be hungry in your world. I don't trust you. And, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm going to be thirsty. There isn't going to be enough water. How am I going to get through? He says, I, I am the spring that never runs dry. Oh, but I don't know the right way up. I don't know what to do. He says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You won't understand how to live at this table unless you do it through me. You will always be flipping things and scarfing. You will never know how to sit. I made you. I'm here with you. Would you come and sit? And let me show you how to, how to do this. I love you. You're going to get paste pasta all over the place. I guarantee it. But you're welcome at my table. I want to do this together. We're going to do it together. This is the message of the book or of the of the of the book of Genesis. Is that this is God's table that he is making and we're going to learn that all throughout the book of Genesis is a promise that this Jesus, this one we crucified is going to be the one to come and show us how to live on this table. And he says things like, "Why don't you expand the table a little bit and invite some other people around?" There's room enough. There's room enough. Does that make sense? Just a weird way of talking about it? Okay. I have another book. I don't know where it is. I'll just make this part up. 
you have at your um, space, I gave everybody a plate and a marker and a little cup. I'm going to do something here. Did you know that the only appropriate way to respond to the, to the beauty of creation, the only appropriate way, according to Plato even, is awe. A-W-E. Gratitude. Thanksgiving. We're supposed to stand in front of it, and in these moments where we get a glimpse of what God has done, we're supposed to like go, oh, right? So we're going to do kind of two things a little bit simultaneously here. We're going to have communion together, which is something that Jesus invited his followers to do. He had this meal with them, and he changed a bunch of things about this old traditional meal called the Passover, and he made it about himself. He said, I am the bread of life. If you consume me, you will live. I am, it's my blood that has been shed for you. Come, let, let, let me take on your stomping, scarfing ways onto me so that you can sit here with me. Come, let me show you how to sit at my table. And so he had a meal with his friends, but he said his meal was about him. And so we're going to have communion together. And then when we're done having communion, I want you to take on that plate, and I want you to write something about the world that God, about the table that God has set for you that you're grateful for. Something in your world that you might have taken for granted, that you might be sleepwalking through, that right today God is saying, I don't want you to sleepwalk through it anymore. I'm setting a table for you. And I've given you something. I've given you a city. I've given you a family. I've given you a church community. I've given you shoes. I've given you all these things. People who care about you. I've given you all these things. And I don't want you to forget that this is part of the table I set for you, for us to get to know each other, <laughs> for us to do good. For us to come alive. So we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to read some scripture. We're going to take communion. And then I want you to write that down. And we're going to uh, play a song for worship. And when you're done writing what you're grateful for, I want you to come and set it on this table. <laughs> that we would have a visual picture of just how good this world that God has made that you're invited to be a part of. Okay? Let's share this together. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ Jesus made this world and he said it is very good. And he made a place for you and he said it is very good. As we uh, close with this last worship song, I'm going to invite the worship leaders up. Um, I want you to write down what it is that's very good in your world. What it is that's very good that he set a table for you. 
and uh, come and uh, set those down on this table here. We're going to have a stack of plates because this is a very good table that he has made. Amen? Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to
do you like your meal so far? Have you tried the soup? Is it good? What do you see here, my friends? Speak it out. Does anybody see, see, see something happening at this table? Sorry? Many people at the table. Love. You see love at this table. What else do you see at this table? Blessing. Thankfulness. Anyone else? Fellowship. Goodness. Jesus. Friends, we're going to go on a journey this summer. We're going to talk about the book of Genesis. We're going to talk, we're going to set right a few things about what God made. Pastors wear stole sometimes. Did you know stole is just uh, a tea towel? That's, it's actually what it was started as. Somebody needed to clean stuff up. Somebody needed to wait tables. Somebody needed to serve. So the pastor's a good guy for that, right? This summer, I hope to be your pastor as we walk through. I hope to set this table for us regularly as we come back to who Jesus is from wherever you are and say there's a seat at the table for you and for you and for you. And we're going to meet Jesus at this table all throughout this creation story, all throughout the ups and downs of what the book of Genesis is. And we're going to, we're going to hopefully have a realign ourselves to the feast that is Jesus, that he made something good for us. And I hope that what you see here, you'll start to see in your neighborhood. You'll start to see in your family. You'll start to see in your own life and your eyes will begin to be alert, not just with little glimmers of God creating something very good, but that God actually is very good and you're very good and this is all very good and you get to enjoy it. You have this one and only life. I hope that your journey with us together as a community at Lake Ridge will make you very aware of this one and beautiful and only life. I hope to see you again next week, my friends. Please stand with me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here into the world that he has set out for you. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're going to Reader Rock Garden after this, after we clean up. If you've never been to Reader Rock Garden, it is amazing. Even if they say there's a millimeter of rain sometime later this afternoon, kapa, what do they know? I think you should come out anyway. There isn't really a plan except to be at Reader Rock Garden to, to, together. So if you bring some food, you do. If you want to walk around, you do. If you've never seen it before, even if you're not big on gardens, you will love this. Yes. Yes. The main, there is one main parking lot to Reader Rock Garden, uh, and then you kind of walk up to it. There's some waterfalls there. There's a beautiful tea house there. Um, but we will, it isn't that big, so we'll probably find each other, but there's a parking lot there.